Uh, one of the things that I love to reflect on is how uh, world-changing developments in technology have come about. And just some of the, the ways that our world has been shaped over history by different uh, inventions and things like that. So, so to be honest with you, the, the internet, the World Wide Web, uh, still blows my mind. And especially now that we have these things, these phones, that we can type or even speak into our phone a question. And we have access to virtually any aspect of information that the world has ever known almost instantaneously coming back to us, it absolutely blows my mind. That's one example. Another example would be with cars. With cars. I mean, who had this idea that you could build these little huts, kind of, and put them on like four wheels, and then you could sit in these little huts and zoom around Aberdeen, and that people would do likewise, and you'd kind of make sense of that by following certain colored lights and certain white lines on the tarmac. I mean, cars are incredible, right? And uh, do you ever find yourself like maybe on a motorway zooming along at no faster than 70 miles an hour, I hope. And uh, as you're doing that, all of a sudden comes into your mind the recognition that you're like a foot or two, two feet, depending on the make of your car, if you've got a sports car, you're, but you're like two feet away from this tarmac that you're flying along. You're thinking, man, thank you for this car because otherwise I'd be in some serious trouble. So cars are amazing. Or one of my favorites to just ponder is planes. Planes. Uh, you guys know that I love an on this day. I love an on, so on this day in 1969, the Boeing 747 jumbo jet had its first test flight. We have some video of the first test flight of the, uh, the 747. That was it on, uh, what day is it today? February the 9th, 1969. Uh, this was the largest passenger aircraft for 37 years before the A380 overtook it. But I mean, who on earth thought up this idea. I mean, I know that it didn't just come out of nowhere. It built on what had gone before. But I just find planes absolutely staggering. Who thought it was a reasonable idea for a huge metal tube full of passengers weighing hundreds of thousands of kilograms to go along a runway and expect that it would go up into the air? It's just absolutely Incredible. I love it, right? We can take that down our mean. What do I love about these things? These moments when a new invention, a new technology change things. What I love is that some people can just see that which others cannot yet see. Some people can understand what can be before anyone else has any idea that it's coming. And those who do that, those who truly make these breakthroughs in technology of some sort or any sort of invention, those who truly see something that can be, they don't just stop there with a nice idea rattling around their heads, but they, they get people around them and they work and work, sacrificing time, money, energy, sometimes reputation so that they can bring whatever that thing is to life. Dear friends, in the church of Jesus Christ, we are to live like that. 
We are to be people who see that which others can't see. A future reality. And we are to be so struck by that which we have seen that we can't just passively trundle along as if nothing is different, but we see what is and we see what is to come and then we gather people around about us and together we bring that reality to life under God. It's God who does all this who provides the site, who provides the people, who provides the fellowship, who provides the resources, who provides the energy, who provides the step-by-step plan. It's God who does it all, but we play our role. God has ordained certain things to come in the future, and he has appointed his church to bring those things about. Of course, sometimes God breaks in and does something completely miraculous out of nowhere. But by and large, the plan that God has is that we would be Jesus' body here on earth and we would step forward and do his work. Um, This is called Living by Faith. And it's what this new series that we're starting today is all about And I just want to warn you up front that about half this message is intro to the series, and half this message is Noah. Okay, so when I get to the Noah bit, don't panic. That's not like, we're not only like a fifth of the way into the message, all right? Um, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews 11. By the way, I'm conscious that the sun is shining bright in some people's eyes. If someone would want to, it might just be helpful just to lower the appropriate blinds, just so that folk aren't struggling. I mean, they might just be wincing at my preaching, but I'm really hoping not. Uh, I'm hoping it's the sun. Um, So either tap in your app or turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. The words are going to come on the screen. However you find it most helpful, we want to Turn our hearts to God's word this morning. Um, Hebrews is a letter that was written to a group of Christians who were facing real times of difficulty. We don't know exactly who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. We don't know exactly to whom it was uh, intended to go, but it was written probably in the late 60s of the first century, and it was to those who were facing real trouble persecution, and we'll actually pick it up in in the last verse of verse 10, okay? So back there in verse 32, um, it's spoken of this, the hard struggle and sufferings that God's people are going through. So I know as we get together this, this morning, there are some in this church who are going through that hard struggle, sufferings of various types. And then later on in, in verse uh, 34 onwards, we hear about persecution, public persecution, properties being destroyed, hear this need of great endurance. And then the writer writes the following from the last verse of chapter 10. But even in these tough circumstances, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. And in some ways, I want that to be like a banner over this, these next six weeks in this study. Hillview Community Church, in Jesus Christ, we are not of those who shrink back. Amen? And are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So what is faith? If we're to walk forward in faith, what is that? Well, verse 1, it is assurance and it is conviction about that which we don't yet see. And then in verse 3, we see that faith is something that brings about true understanding. By faith, we understand certain things, that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith is that, which us, is that which enables us to understand how God truly works. Faith is an inner assurance and conviction that there is a God, that He is a God who has not stayed silent, but that He is a God who has created and spoken this world into being, And that as he speaks, that by his word, he works miracles, bringing things to life just by his power and authority. And I'm praying, as I hope all of the community of faith of Hillview are praying week by week, I'm praying that some people here this morning will experience that faith even as we come around this moment just now. Faith, to believe that there is a God, to believe that he has not stayed distant, but he loves me, he wants to know me, and to believe that he can bring about, bring about a new future. Faith is not something that we work up in ourselves. It is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved, that is, by the kindness of God that we don't deserve. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. So we should be praying earnestly day by day and week week by week that, that God would speak into existence that which is not. That God would fill these seats not that there's anything special about these seats or this time or this guy, but as an indication of him growing his people in this part of Scotland, that God would bring people to life in Jesus Christ who maybe don't even yet give God a second thought. Praying that God would speak into existence belief and trust in him. We can pray that. We should pray that because guess what? Here's the good news this morning. God is still at work in his world today. I mean, you might think from Hebrews chapter 11 is something which looks back. I mean, these verses, even the ones that we've read, it says in verse 2 about the people of old. And as we're going to see in Hebrews 11, it looks back to a number of examples from the past of those who had faith. It speaks of uh, their understanding uh, regarding what God was bringing into being. But dear friends, God is still at work. When 
Jesus sent out his followers to do his work and gave them this great commission, we call it, in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go in my authority. There's the thing again, it's God who does this. Go in my authority and make disciples of all nations. That is to say, go as my ambassadors, go in my name and bring into existence that which does not yet exist. Friends, that's why this church is here. That's why this church exists, because a few people in the United States of America in the late 1970s heard God's call to go to Aberdeen and to partner in what God was doing to make disciples in this part of the world. An international Baptist church was birthed in 1978, and God is still doing that work. Guess what? It's why Contour Community Church exists. Last night, we had an awesome, last night, last week, we had an awesome evening of worship and prayer out at Contour. Sometimes we do it here, sometimes we do it at Contour, but we do it as one big family. And at one point in the evening of worship and prayer, I went to the back of the room. I was sitting down the front, but I went to the back of the room, and I looked out over these people crying out with their hearts to God, with their hands raised and their their voices raised, singing, Hallelujah, our God reigns. This little pocket of faith in this region where the vast majority of people don't care less about God, don't believe that God reigns, but here we are, Contour Community Church saying, Yeah, you better believe, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, our God reigns. And I just was at the back of the room marveling at what God has done to speak Kintour Community Church into existence. I was reflecting on the conversation I'd had with someone the day before at the men's breakfast where he said to me, someone who lives in Kintour said to me, if it wasn't for Kintour Community Church, I'd be nowhere with God right now. I thought, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Kintour Parish Church, for Geary Church, for Catalyst, and thank you, God, for sparking into life. Contour Community Church. By faith, we understand that the universe, including Hillview and Contour Community Church, was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Contour Community Church was not visible five years ago and before. When we have faith, we see that God is still at work. God is still creating. We understand realities that we didn't previously. This is why Paul prayed at the end of Ephesians 3, glory to God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or understand That word understand is exactly the same word here as in verse 3 of Hebrews 11. By faith, we understand things that we don't yet understand. That's when Paul's praying that in Ephesians 3, he's saying, thank you, God, that you're able to do way beyond what we understand as being possible just now. All glory to him who is still able to. To do that according to, it says in Ephesians 3, according to his power at work within us. So God does it, but we partner with him. God is working today beyond what we can see or understand. And faith 
is that inner conviction that helps us live in that reality. And faith is even that which gives us the courage to believe that we can participate with what God is doing as he brings new things to life that are way beyond our wildest dreams. Those who have faith walk forward in faith. Having defined what faith is, the writer to the Hebrews goes on to give example after example of what that life looks like. And they are called in chapter 12, these people mentioned, they're called a great cloud of witnesses. Brothers and sisters who from of old walked forward into the unknown in a number of different ways, participating in God's activity. And they're recorded here to us as examples. So that as it says in the first few verses of chapter 12, that in light of their example, we might lay aside whatever is burdening us. We might break free from the sin that would trip us up and that we would run with endurance the race that's set before us. I'm calling us as a church to run. I've called it walk forward in faith. If you, maybe some of us can just walk, but maybe for all of us, we should be wanting to run forward in faith with endurance the race that is set before us in light of this great cloud of witnesses. So we're going to take six names. We're not going to cover every name from Hebrews 11 but we're going to take six names. I'm going to start in verse 7 with Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And basically there's just one thing I want to highlight in kind of two halves from this verse, from this account that it points to in Genesis 6, which we're going to read a little bit of in a minute, is this. Is that faith means acknowledging God's context. And secondly, faith means heeding God's call. Acknowledging true, what is true about the context that we're in and acknowledging God's call in our lives in light of that. And here's the point. Even when both of those things can seem absolutely ridiculous to the world around about us. So Noah, it says here in this verse, Noah was warned of a coming reality that was totally unseen to those around about him. And this is a difficult reality for us to think about, but is one that is so important. And the reality that Noah saw, that he was given insight into, that others didn't see, was that God's judgment was coming on the world. If I, if I could like, invite you to turn right back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. We can read about this. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw 
that the wickedness of man, listen to how emphatically this is put, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I mean, it could not have been stated any more strongly than that. Verse 11 and 12 elaborate this, elaborate on this a little bit. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Again, just in multiple ways, we're getting this picture just in a few verses of the serious reality of what we're talking about here. There is violence and corruption and evil in the world, and God will not tolerate it any longer. Now, part of that statement that I just made doesn't necessarily feel like it requires faith to accept. Every human being, I don't think anyone would disagree with me in this room. Every human being is wired to want something done about injustice and violence and corruption and evil like that. So I follow the P&J, the local newspaper on Facebook, and every so often, every so often they'll highlight a, a headline from their article and uh, they'll share about a recent conviction that has come through the courts. And especially if that crime is one of violence or corruption, say, for example, a horrible crime against a child or a despicable theft against a vulnerable elderly person or something like that, they'll post an article like that. And my goodness, if you click on the comments below, you can see this reality that human beings are wired to want something done about that which is corrupt and unjust. People are not shy about using terminology as found in Genesis chapter 6 in such moments. This is wicked, they'll say. This is evil. And then they're also not shy to talk about the judgment that should follow. Lock them up and throw away the key. Or worse, much worse sometimes, will be the comments that can come on Facebook. That bit doesn't really require us to take much faith to believe But there is something in what is going on here that does require faith. It's not that there's evil in the world. I think we all accept that. It's not even that evil must be dealt with in the world. I think, again, all of us probably accept that reality, that we shouldn't just put up when when something horrific happens to someone. We shouldn't just put up with it. The uncomfortable message which requires faith to accept is that that wickedness is in me. And that evil is in me and is in you and is in all of us and is in every single person in this world. The testimony of the scriptures from start to end is that God is a good God who desires a good and beautiful relationship with us, but that we have rebelled against his good order. We've pushed him and his ways away from us And that every single one of us is, apart from God's rescue, rotten and corrupt. And that that finds expression in evil actions. Now, to be sure, those are different. Sometimes 
that corruption in the heart of every single human being finds expression in those evil acts that all of us would condemn. But other times, it finds expression in pride, self-righteousness, or a subtle expression of selfishness, or, or, or whatever. Just those ways that you know I've messed up here. I'm not acting as I should. The Bible, not least the account of Noah in Genesis 6, calls us to acknowledge the reality, unseen by many, that there is something called sin that is present in every single person, and it calls us to acknowledge that there is a judgment coming. There is a judgment in Genesis 6 and 7, and the Scriptures are very clear that there is coming one final last judgment when God will for once and for all bring justice and judgment upon every person who has lived with evil and corruption in their life. Now, I just, this is heavy. I want you to hear God's heart in this. Listen to his heart in Genesis 6. Look at verse, verse 6 of, of Genesis 6. So right after he's speaking of this terrible evil, he says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God's sorry that he's made mankind. God is grieving here. The NIV says that the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. You need to know, this is very unusual terminology for God to use of his own feelings and emotions about that which God has done. God said, I'm sorry, I regret having made mankind. And it points to the horror of this moment that was coming, of God's judgment being poured out. And the point is this, not in a callous way, not in an uncaring way. It's not that God was dispassionate about this reality. The Bible goes out of its way to flag the scale of this moment within the character of God. And this is repeated again and again in the scriptures. For example, when God tenderly calls his people to leave your crooked ways, return to me, come back to me. Or, for example, when God says in Hosea of the future judgment facing his people, he calls his, he calls his people his son. And then he says this, how can I give you up? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows tender and warm. When it says in the Gospels where Jesus was moved with compassion, deep in his being for individuals that came to him in need or indeed for whole regions as Jesus lamented and wept over Jerusalem because of their rejection of God's Messiah for Jesus who saw the crowds and, and lamented because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We, we hear God's heart in these things in the book of Lamentations. Scott read Lamentations 3, and I'm going to do likewise, but a, a few verses later, Lamentations 3 is speaking about 
God's, God's people are rebelling against him. But look at verse 21. God's going to cast them off. But it says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. He does not willingly, he does not gladly afflict the children of men. The the way that word willingly, gladly, is literally translated, it's almost like God does not from his heart bring judgment. It's the judgment that God brings is not something he's excited about. It does not come from the essence of his being. God doesn't take pleasure in bringing judgment upon sin. And of course, we see that most plainly in his rescue plan to save us from the results of sin, where his own son, Jesus Christ, willingly came to accept the judgment for sin that should have been ours alone Yes, let me tell you, God has shown us how much he desires his people to know rescue and peace. Yes, he has. That's true. And it's true. God will not tolerate evil forever. God will not tolerate injustice. It is dealt with in two ways. All wrong that has ever been committed against you and anyone in this world is dealt with either in the body of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross or it will be dealt with at the final judgment of God on the last day. And the point of Hebrews 11 is that it took faith for Noah to see this. It took faith Also, it takes faith also for us to see this judgment that is coming. It's just not what we see in the natural realm, apart from hearts that are turned towards God. I mean, sometimes we might despair and think this world is spiraling down into disaster. Sometimes we might think like that. That's not the truth of the Bible. Sometimes we might just float along life just fine and be like, oh, yeah, 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 there's difficult things in the world, but actually my life's going okay and, and, and we, we forget what is going on, but neither of those reactions are, are, are the, are the, are, is what the Bible points us to. Faith means acknowledging God's context. So I just call us to see this difficult reality, as ridiculous as it seems to many, that there is a God who will call every single person to account for every single act of wrong. One day, there is a creator and judge of this world. There is sin in all of us, rebelling against God. That sin shows up in different ways, but it will be dealt with. And if it's not dealt with this morning, by your embrace of the mercy of Jesus Christ, it will be dealt with on the final day. Faith means acknowledging that. And then secondly, faith means heeding the call of God in light of that context, even when it seems crazy. Again, let's go back to Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. Noah saw that which was unseen, the judgment that was coming, and then in reverent fear, he built that which was called for in view of God's great rescue plan. Even though it must have seemed bonkers to those around about him. In fact, when Jesus teaches on Noah, one of the reasons, by the way, is that you should, is Noah a true story or not? One of the reasons you should believe it's true is it was good enough for Jesus. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Jesus spoke on Noah, and when Jesus taught on Noah, he made the point clearly that while Noah was building this huge boat all around him, normal life was carrying on. People were eating, and people were drinking, and people were hooking up, and people were getting married, and normal life was carrying on. And in the midst of that, there is Noah building a boat, an ark. There is Noah on dry land when life was just going on all around about him. There is Noah, all the expense, all the effort, all the I'm sure, explaining to those who came and asked them, what on earth are you doing? All explaining to them what was going on. And then there's this remarkable moment where they have to gather species of every kind from all around the world uh, into the ark. And then they all go in together and they seal it up. I mean, it must have just looked utterly ridiculous. But it was God's great plan for rescuing humanity from judgment. And dear friends, if we take seriously the context of God's rule and reign and his coming judgment, if we take that reality seriously, then we better take seriously the need to follow his rescue plan. And and Noah did, and it seemed crazy to those around about him, I'm sure. Maybe just like coming together week by week and lifting our voices and lifting our hands and singing songs of praise to God together, that He is the way maker, miracle worker, light in the darkness. That seems crazy to a lot of people around this building right now. Maybe like pouring out our hearts in prayer day by day. You know, uh, seeing prayer as important and urgent. Anyone get the email this week? It's not just clickbait. We better believe that it's important and urgent for us to earnestly cry out to God for Aberdeen. 97 or so percent of the people within which they don't care about God. It looks ridiculous, right? Like giving huge chunks of our money and our time away. Like living faithfully and in purity before God despite the longings of our heart or the temptations that we face day by day. Say, no, I'm not just going to do the easy thing. I'm going to hold fast to what God has called me to because I know that what he's called me to is better than anything that this world would offer me. But it just seems crazy to other people. Like keeping praying for miracles even though God seems far off. 
It looks ridiculous, doesn't it? Like saying to God, God, we'll do anything for you. We'll take what little free time we'll have and we'll organize some opportunities to get to know our neighbors and friends and to run events that would show people who Jesus is. We'll trust you, God, and speak of your goodness even in the face of horrific injustice and sickness that I'm dealing with. We'll leave the peace and blessing of the church family here and go and plant a church in Contour for the extension of your kingdom because there is a gospel need in Contour. Or maybe one day we'll do that in Maastricht or we'll do that in Torrey or we'll do that in Dice or in Dromoke or in King's Wells or maybe we'll do that in Nepal saying to God, God, we'll give you everything. We'll get baptized, even though it means that we will have to seek asylum because it will not be safe for us to go home. Yes, we'll get baptized because I'm following what you want for me, God. Yes, God, I'll do what you want. I'll do anything for you. I'll forgive that person who has wronged me so seriously. Yes, God, we'll take our very serious, very prestigious careers and we'll move them to North Korea or Central Asia where we'll live for your purposes. Yes, God, we will stay shining Jesus' light in this village, though the murderers are coming to take our lives, as has been happening in Nigeria. Nigeria in recent weeks as dozens of believers have lost their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. All of that looks absolutely ridiculous to the world around about us, but we're saying, God, we'll do it. We will do it because we see that which is unseen. We are going to build something out of seemingly nothing because of faith because we see what you're doing we see your rescue plan and we don't want to just be serious about the judgment that's coming but we understand that you have called us to participate in that rescue plan and you're a God who gives us the assurance of things hoped for what are you hoping for He gives us the conviction of things not seen. What have you seen for the sake of Jesus Christ in your life? You are a God who creates that which is beautiful out of that which is not yet there. What vision of beauty has God given you for his glory and for his kingdom? And now we're coming to a close. Our heart has to always be, we see what you're doing, God, because... We've already seen what you've done. We're not the starting point. It's always God's love. It's always God who takes the initiative. We have seen the extent of your love at the cross of Jesus Christ, that which is the most ridiculous reality to many in the world. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1? It's foolishness, the cross of Christ to those who are perishing. But we see on the cross that through Jesus, God is not done with me. God is not done with you. God is not done with this world. Through what Jesus did, there is a sufficient price that has been paid for the penalty which is ours for the sin which we have committed against God. And through his death, We're invited to to embrace Christ who has paid that penalty. Through his resurrection, we're invited into the life of God, which is ongoing. Through his reign, we're invited to know his peace and his purposes in this land by faith, by faith. 
I see it, God. I see who you are. I see what you've done. I see what is hard to accept, but I see that you're calling me forward into your plans as you do far more abundantly than anything even I can see or understand. Here's my question for now and for these weeks. What do you see for God's kingdom that is not yet seen? Are you praying like that? Is any of your prayer life devoted to praying for faith to arise that we might rightly acknowledge the context that we're in and then we might, with, as with Noah, with reverent fear, hear the call of God to build that which does not yet exist for the sake of his love and for the glory of his name. Dear brothers and sisters, Hillview Community Church, may God grant faith to rise up among us. Not just a principle, not just a belief, but a movement. People walking forward, surrounded by this great cloud of Noah and others, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who makes our faith complete. He is the author of any faith that you feel just now, Jesus started it. And he is the perfecter of that faith. He takes that little call of your heart that, yes, God, yes, God. And he perfects it. Day by day, one day finally, may he perfect our faith in 2020, right? Can we say that together? That's not a controversial thing to say, right? Might God perfect the faith that we have to see what is not yet seen for his glory. Let's pray. Just ask now in the quiet for the Holy Spirit to show you one thing that you see for the sake of his kingdom that is not yet seen. Oh, Holy Spirit, come now, show us what you want for us as your church, I pray. Father, I thank you right now for the fact that you put us uh, together as brothers and sisters in your family. And Lord, uh, we thank you that as we walk forward in what you're calling us to, we do that together. And Lord, I know that in this family of faith, there are some who are, who are able and ready to walk forward at the front of the, the, the gathering of the family together. And Lord, there are others in our midst and among our number, Lord, who are not able to do that in light of the circumstances they're facing, in light of the struggles and difficulties that they 
have in their lives. And Lord, I just thank you that we're together in that. I pray that you'd bind us together. I pray that you'd increase our love for one another. And I pray that together, Lord, however it looks in practice, that you would help us walk forward together with the vision that you've given us to build that which is not yet seen for the sake of Christ for this part of the world. And you'd help us do that joyfully, though our lives may feel like they're being plundered just now, that we would be not of those who shrink back, but of those who are bold and they're walking forward together. And God, I pray that faith would arise among us and that you would do wonderful things, far more wonderful than anything we could ask or think for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.